got the hat on. I love it. Yes. Well, you're wearing yours. I thought I'd wear mine. Exactly. We've got a, we've got a showcase. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. How are you holding up with all the snow we have here in Alberta? Oh, man, it's 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 not pleasant, to be honest with you, at the moment, going out to feed in the morning and stuff. It makes it a bit of a challenge, but hell, that's oh, yeah. Alberta, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I just uh, crossed my fingers it doesn't stay till March. <laughs> fingers crossed, yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. It great. takes a little bit to adjust, though, doesn't it? Just that cold initially yeah. and the yeah. snow, and you're like, oh, my goodness. I'm sure you guys have tractors, don't to plow through things. Well, we, we're kind of small. We just got a little tractor, but yeah. we got neighbors that come in and plow us out when we need it. Nice. Everybody has a four-wheel drive out here, so yeah. it doesn't really matter that much unless it gets real deep. You're saying you don't want a rear wheel out there? Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with that. That's not, uh, that's not fun. No. <laughs> it's not fun. No, exactly. So how long have you been living at your ranch for? We built out here in 1992. So this is our 30th year. Wow. And 41 yeah. years as a silversmith. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, and I was thinking the other day, I don't know why 22 was such a big year, but it was exactly 50 years ago I left Saskatchewan and went to work in Banff. Yeah, June of, of 1972. May, actually, of 72. Were you born in a small town of Saskatchewan? Well, I was actually born just off a military base in Ontario. And uh, my mom and dad divorced probably a year and a half after that. And mom brought my brother and I back to Saskatchewan, and we grew up with our grandparents. Wow. Yeah, small town. What a little under 100 people when I was growing up. And we had land, we had land around the town, and and uh, our family had been there. Oh, our family had been there since the late eighteen nineties. So nineties, my yeah. Goodness. My great great grandfather was. Uh, he was. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. There was a big drought going on. They were ranching down by uh, Moose Jaw at that point. Oh yeah. So this would be in the early 1890s and uh, there was a drought and, and a lot of a lot of neighbors were giving up and moving out and and grandpa john and his brother tom saddled their horses and they rode north and west to try and find water and, and grass and they found a, a lake they called bright lake bright bright water lake and uh, it was like paradise to them so they went home Mm -hmm. They rode home and they'd been gone 30 days. They rode home and got their cattle and their neighbor's cattle and moved them up there. And um, they stayed there. And that the town of Dundurn is about five miles east of, of Brightwater Lake. So they were the first. Uh, my great great grandmother was the first white woman in that area for over 10 years. Wow. Yeah. So I've got a, a great picture in my shop of. Uh, of Grandpa John, it's it's called the Pioneers Picnic, and it's in 1905. So when you think about that, when they were calling them pioneers in 1905, it's pretty pretty cool. So I was very blessed to grow up with uh, with my grandpa and my uncles and and family all around. I knew my I knew both my great grandparents, sets of my great grandparents, on my my grandma and my grandpa's side, 
So it was just a, a great way to grow up. Yeah. Did you go to Ontario to visit dad often or? No, no, dad was, that was part of the deal, right? He, uh, <laughs> he decided he wanted, he was a young man and he decided he wanted to see the world. So uh, yes. he spent most of his career overseas, a lot in the Middle East, worked with the UN a lot. He's, uh, he went in as a, a grunt. He, he joined up, he stole his brother's ID. He was 15. His brother was 18, stole his brother's ID and joined the military and uh, started out as a grunt, of course, ended up as an officer and a pilot 32 years later uh, when he retired. But I only saw dad. I loved him. Don't get me wrong, but I only saw dad. Oh, maybe once a year, maybe once every two years, just, you know, it's just the kind of way it worked. Right. He ended up remarrying and having another family. So, in your adult life, were you guys close? Um, he'd retired by then, and he was. uh, They were living in Tawasson, him and his his wife, and and he had two boys. He had two boys with my mom, and two boys with his his new wife, Mm. and uh, got to know them, but we weren't close. Uh, You know, it kind of no malice or anything like that. It's just. The way life was and i had a fantastic life growing up so no harm no foul man exactly and you know what that's great that you have no harm and you have peace with that because oftentimes that's a it's hard for people right when homes are broken yeah. and yeah yeah it's you know um i thought about that a lot over the years and, and i'm i'm very thankful that you know this sounds weird but i'm thankful that they split up because I know my mentality and the way I am, and I know that if we had stayed together, I'd be in the military, you know? So I grew up with my, my first cowboy hero was my uncle. And uh, I spent so much time with him and my grandpa was a great horseman and teamster. And uh, so was my grandma actually. So I grew up in that environment and, and it's one I love. And I love the prairies growing up, it was so, so free you know you could just take a horse and disappear for a day or two days oh, whatever yeah. you felt and, and it was uh my cousins lived right across literally across the garden <laughs> from us five there was five kids there and and uh, so they're not like cousins they're like brothers and sisters to me you know and uh, we're still very close yeah. my, my two cousins austin and jay moss and they they both have a they own a saddlery together in North Battle, yes. Saskatchewan. Yeah. And uh, they've been there for over 40 years, too. So wow. there's and one thing we have is the longevity in our <laughs> pursuits. <laughs> is your brother still out there? My brother is a retired lawyer, and uh, he's part owner of the in our little ranch together. Uh, but he's he right now he's in Phoenix. They have a place in Phoenix, him and his wife. And he loves riding his motorcycle. Uh, oh yeah, got a big BMW, so he spends a lot of the winter cruising the southern United States. Wow! Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. What yeah. brought you out to Banff? Well, at that time, um, all I ever wanted to do was work with horses, be a cowboy, and, and there just wasn't that many people hiring where I lived in Saskatchewan, especially strictly horses. Um, there was a few trainers around, but not. 
you know, mostly it was family operations. Right. So there was a there was a guy by the name of Billy Martin that had a Martin Stables in Banff, and he used to recruit out of Saskatchewan uh, cowboys to work for him. He liked that because you were far enough away from home, you wouldn't quit and go home. You know. <laughs> so, so I he hired me, and I went out there, and and I stayed. I was with at Martin's for one year, and then I went to uh, I went to Lake Louise and worked for Brewsters up there. Oh yes, for the next five years. Nice so, God. Yeah, four and a half, five years. And then you fell in love with Alberta. Well, I was in love. I was thinking about that. You know, one of the biggest benchmarks I can remember, it was like the first first week I was in Banff. And uh, I was walking to, to where the bunkhouse was. And I had to cross the bridge in Banff, you know, the one that the, the government buildings are yes. at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And I was walking across there and I just stopped and I and I looked, looked down the Bow River and the mountains and the, and the, the whole majestic. And I, I thought to myself, as much as I love Saskatchewan, why in the world would I ever go back? And I didn't. So <laughs> I met my wife in, in Lake Louise. She was working for a, a, another outfitter up there. And uh, that's the only reason we left is we got married. It's just really hard to be married. And, you know, it's, Number one, it's seasonal work. So you were there. I would be. I would come in uh, like April first, and I'd be done October thirtieth. So then I went in the rigs or pipeline or whatever you know mm -hmm. I could do. So it's just kind of a. We wanted something a little more cohesive. You were in Banff. You guys move out. Did you guys come out to Calgary for a bit? Yeah, we came. Uh, well, we we went to High River first. Mm -hmm. And then we ended up in the Crow's Nest Pass running a stable down there. Oh, yeah. And then we came back. We were just outside of Calgary towards Cochrane. And we stayed there 12 years before we came down here. My goodness. And so, obviously, she loves horses as well. And Oh, yeah. She's probably a better horse person than I am. <laughs> I hate being that honest, but yeah. <laughs> I had messaged you asking you about what is a stockman and what is a cattlemen for the listeners scott what is the difference well a, a stockman is somebody who works with stock so um you know they can work for a rancher or an outfitter or it can be sheep or right. eggs or um anything like that but a rancher he's the guy that owns the ranch and and manages it you know okay so a stockman would work for a rancher ranch. okay and how many heads of cattle give or take do you have over the years Oh, I think we're very small because of my work. Yeah. I could, and it takes so much time with cattle. Oh, yes. But we were up to oh, probably close to 50 head at one point. And now we're down to a dozen. Dozen, yeah. And next summer, next summer we'll buy grassers probably. So a grasser is something that you buy in the spring, uh, uh, either a bread heifer or a steer. And you graze them all summer and then sell them in the fall. And we'll buy 10 or 15 of those. Um, they're fairly easy to look after, you know, so and they're gone in the fall. So it's, we just feed our horses then, right, all winter. Oh, yes. Yeah. Cows, so. yeah. Do you guys yeah. have any goats or sheep? or any... No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> dogs, lots of dogs. Yeah. 
Especially over the years, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I, I, neither myself or my wife have ever been without a horse or a dog. So it's it's uh, just kind of a way of life, animals, you know. And uh, people don't understand how much um, pleasure they give your life and how much motivation they are, you know. I mean, with horses or cattle or something like that, well, or a dog or anything, but you have to get up every morning and feed, you know, whether you're healthy, sick, it's storming out or it's beautiful. I mean, it's just part of life, you know, and it's, uh, it's just a great way to be. And, and in harmony, you can't, anybody I've ever seen that tried to manhandle stock ends up in trouble. You know what I mean? Mm. You have to learn to work with them, not against them. So it, it's almost like, it's got to be their idea, you know? Mm. And uh, I remember one time when I was young and I was with my uncle Harvey and we were out at, uh, oh, it's, they used to call it the PFRA and it's Prairie Farmers Rehabilitation Association. And it, it was an organization, it's, it's disbanded now, but it was an organization that started in, oh, in the thirties, I think, maybe late, late twenties. And it was, they would have huge pastures, like the one around Dundurn where I was raised was 72 sections. And, and they had government cowboys running it and the local farmers and ranchers could bring their cattle there in the spring and they would graze them and take care of them all summer, then bring them out in the fall. Mm -hmm. and, and I was blessed because my great great grandfather was one of the ones that started the PFRA in, in around Dundurn. So our family through the years always got to be um, connected with them. You know, we could help on the roundups. We could help, you know, watching cattle and on and on. And back to the story is, is my uncle took me in a corral one day and we were just on foot standing there and, and a bunch of cows. And he, gave, he said, you know, walk towards that cow and when it moves, stop. So I did. And, and, and he said, step to your step to your right and walk ahead and the cow would move that way. So what he was trying to teach me is, is uh, they're watching you as much as you're watching them. So that's how you work with them, right? You don't, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be aggressive or anything. Mm -hmm. You just have to kind of get in their space a little and they'll move this way or they'll move that way. And that's part of being a good stockman is being able to figure stuff like that out so that they'll move on their own accord rather than you doing it. And so, it's understanding the energy, right? Is that thing that you can describe. It's that feeling, is the cow comfortable with you? Are you comfortable with the cow? They know. You know I mean, dogs sense everything. Oh, absolutely. And a horse the same way. I mean, if you're, if you're going to be aggressive or mean with a horse, you're in for a fight. And they all have personalities too, right? They're, oh, they're like us. So, um you find that match, you find something you work with and it's about working with them, not against them or, 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 or monopolizing, them. you know, it's about wanting to work together and there's gotta be ground rules, just like any job, anything, right. You, you develop ground rule rules and away you go. So. Yeah. Scott, do you, do you and your wife have children? We have twin boys. Nice. And uh, they're 38 years old now. <laughs> wow. So, yeah they, yeah, they grew up uh, again 
I'm guessing where you guys live in close to <laughs> close to Longview. Is that correct? Yeah, we're just east of Longview. So it's I always look at Longview as kind of a magical spot. You know, it's uh, we got the mountains. I mean, literally, we can jump horses into the trailer and, and be in the mountains in 15 minutes. Or we got the plains, you know, the rolling hills and, and the great grasslands. So to me, it's kind of the perfect, perfect place. My wife grew up in the Crow's Nest Pass, so she she wishes we were a little deeper into the mountains, but I'm pretty, pretty happy where I am. You know, Longview is the definition of what I would say, how I describe Alberta. You know, it is the most beautiful place I've been. The hills, like you said, my goodness, the sky. Oh, it's incredible. It It's some of the prettiest country in the world, I think. And, and the people around Longview, I mean, it's just a special area. There's a lot of artists out here, mm. you know, and there's a lot of uh, cowboys. There's a lot of whatever. I mean, uh, the, the Longview Steakhouse is a good example. Oh, yeah. That and, family and, is amazing, aren't they? Sam, oh. Sam and his parents. <laughs> Sam is... Sam, I've known Sam since he was a little, little guy. And uh, he's a pistol, man. I love the guy. And, and you know, it's, you know, people can say what they want about rural Alberta, rural Canada, about being rednecks or whatever. But uh, that's the furthest thing from the truth. It, you know, it's about if you're a good person and you do your job well, you're accepted, right? And, and, I remember when Dries and Sigrid, that's the mom and dad, they moved here, God, not, not that long after we moved here. Maybe in the mid-90s they moved here. And uh, he'd been a, a chef all over the world, you know. And they were just looking for a, a place to settle and raise their family. And, and they bought this little beat-up restaurant in Longview and... and uh, turned it into the powerhouse it is. And, and uh, they were always such gracious hosts. I mean, if, if you want to learn how to be a host, you go have dinner at the Longview oh, Steakhouse. I mean, the, the service, the oh. exceptional and the food and the view. Oh, my God. It's all it's, it's home. It feels like home. It does. It does. You know, I had a great friend. He's passed on now, Dale Auger. He was a... Um, a Cree fellow from Northern Alberta that ended up um, getting a, a, a degree in education at the U of C and uh, his wife, Grace, who's now a, a provincial judge. Uh, obviously she was, a lawyer, went in to be a lawyer, but anyway, uh, Dale used to talk, talk about when, when the, when the, the natives warred, when they would fight, have battles, when they were done, they would come to this area to heal. Because they, 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 in their words, they called it the Happy Valley. That was the story Dale told me. Anyway. And I can, I can see it. They said it was a magical place. And, and, and so you mean Longview as a whole? Yeah. Well, the area. The area. The, okay. The area. Yeah. The area. Yeah. yeah. It definitely is magical. I mean, you got Twin Cities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the pub out there. Yeah. I can't remember his name, the owner, but he, yeah, he was, uh, oh. Man, I can't remember his name now either. He's a very nice guy. Very nice guy, yeah. 
You know, he's so hospitable. And again, like you just said, the individuals in Longview, that community, it's so tight knit, but yet so respectful um, both ways and respected. It, well, it's kind of funny. Our neighbors uh, just south of us, they've been great friends and, and helped us multiple times over the years. But so they were born and raised here, and, and their dad was also. And, and one of the brothers told me, I was still a pilgrim. I've been here 30 years and I'm still a pilgrim. So that's how tight knit the community is. Yeah. But it's changing so rapidly and and uh, they are accepting people here. I mean, I mean that in the sense that, again, you come here and, and, and you're a good person. They'll give you anything you want. You know, they'll do anything for you. It's it's kind of still a definition of rural. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you rely on your neighbors um, and they rely on you, you know, so yeah. it's uh, it's we never have to worry um, about um, people coming into your yard that you don't know because your neighbors know if there's somebody driving into your yard. You know what I mean? Everybody watches for everybody is what I'm trying to say. You know, you don't get that in the as often in the big cities as you do in rural rural areas. Why do you think there's that stigma or that perception of... Well, I've thought a lot about that, you know, because there's so many people out here that are so educated. And I, I mean, literally, formally educated. Um, and then there's people out here that maybe don't have much educate, education, but they're so wise beyond their years it's it's incredible and i think it's the difference between city and country is just lack of understanding right i mean so if i live in the city for example um on a day like this i can i can go and i can walk into my garage get into my car drive to work park in a parkade and and you know, maybe never wear anything other than the heavy jacket. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could control my whole, everything around me I can control from the heat in my house to my, to my vehicle, to everything. Where out here, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can't control. You know, um, if your fence goes down, if your, if your animals get out, I mean, you've got to, feed your animals. If something gets sick, you can't wait until, you know, it's convenient for you to go, go do it. Um, hundreds of uh, ranchers all around, I mean, they're, they're busy. They have to go out and break water every day for their animals to drink. You know, they have to, a large part of their, their winter is taken up feeding animals, you know. Um, and that's, again, that's a seven day a week deal. You can't just say, oh, hell, I'm tired. So, so, and it's, if, you know, this sounds bad, but if there's livestock, there's dead stock. You have to deal with that. You have to deal with birth and death. You have to deal with sickness. You have to deal with inconvenient things all the time, you know. And so, so you learn to kind of go with the flow, I would say, a little bit more. And, and, and sure, you've got to, you got to be tough enough to get through it, right? You can't melt on the couch. I mean, you got to, 
stiffen up and get outside and get stuff done. And, and it doesn't matter what year it is. And then, you know, lately there's, there's all kinds of other battles out there that you're fighting, you know, um, animal rights groups that think you're being cruel with your animals or people that don't think you should eat beef or climate change or environmentalists or, I mean, you can keep going down the list and most of it is, is, you know, either they don't believe in live and let live or they, they don't understand what's really going on. Um, or, you know, you want to talk about, you know, environmentalists. Well, if you're a rancher out here and you don't control your grass, if you don't control your water, to the best of its ability, you're going to go broke. So every one of them has to be an environmentalist. They don't want to wreck a stream. They don't want to overgraze something. They don't want to cut the trees down because they need those for shelter. You know, they they want uh, uh, the animals around them. I mean, uh, they want the animals around them comfortable and in their natural environment, and they live harmoniously with them. You know. So it's something, there's so many misunderstandings, you know, if you've got, um, if you've got somebody making his living, some, and, and I should, shouldn't say his, because it's mostly partnerships, right? And, and uh, they're making their living off the land. They have to treat that land with respect. And the same as their animals. If you want your animals to be fat and happy, which is the ideal situation, because then, you know, they have, they give birth easy, they raise their calves easy, they, whatever it is, sheep, goats, whatever, if they're happy, everybody's going to prosper. So your whole life is about accommodation, right? Whether it's the animals or your neighbors or yourself, whatever. And, and agriculture, um, and it's a tough way to make a living. Oh, yeah. Especially so, now more than ever, you know, oh. there's, I have a couple of friends that are farmers and they're saying, you know, now fertilizer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and you, you people are going to have to balance, you know, between you want to eat, you know, you, you used to go in the store and, and buying food. Well, I mean, the only reason you can do that is because farmers can farm, right? You take you take a third of their crop away, well, there's a third less food going out there. And when you look at Alberta and Saskatchewan, Manitoba, um, those that's the breadbasket of Canada. And we feed the world, literally. I mean, between beef and, and, and pork and, and grains and on and on and on, you start cutting that down, you start cutting it back. And, you know, you want us to talk about chemicals or fertilizer or anything like that. I mean, it's expensive. So nobody's out there sloshing it around and throwing it, you know, they're using the minimum they can use, period, to get those crops. Yeah. And, and the attack that's coming towards them is, against them, I should say, is, is largely out of ignorance, misunderstanding. You know, when you get guys now, I can watch guys fertilize in the spring and they're all using GPS. 
you know they know exactly so they're not they're not overlapping a foot they're right on when they're when they're doing their ropes you know so they've got it as lean as they can get it you know so take 30 percent away and you're just losing 30 percent of your crop period in the farming world there's a lot of technology out there in the ranching and stockman world is there technology you guys use such as cattle max or any of the software oh man there is there's you know i'm not i don't call myself a rancher uh, you know um but the ranchers i know the good ranchers i know they use everything at their disposal i mean they can tell you the genetics of their their cattle herd down to the to the last drop you know they're they're trying to create bigger and better cattle or whatever the client wants you know i mean if you watch cattle over the years i've i've got a a beautiful old skull upstairs it was my great great grandfather's one of his cattle and it's you know their head was flat and the horns were coming out in the side you look at them now and they're they're more like that you know and it's they're like humans they change you know like you take a, a an ordinary person in in the late 1800s and they're like five six five seven you know and now they're six two six three you know so in grade nine yeah in grade nine <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder, is it nature or nurture that is changing this landscape? Well, I, you know, good food. I mean, who's gone hungry here? Well, I shouldn't say that because there's people going hungry now. But um, literally, we've had it so good here for so many years. And, and you know, it's, it's like people or animals or whatever. You feed them good and, and keep them safe and they're going to prosper you know they're going to get bigger they're going to get stronger whatever you know i think about this is romaine you can't get romaine right now in no no it's well it's you know i mean um i won't get political but they're making it hard on us everybody's i mean they're not making things easy and, yeah. and instead of forcing like that i think it should be incentivized People, if the people are incentive to do things, they're so creative, you know, they can figure so much, but if you punish them, they get mad, right? So we're not incentivizing anybody right now, we're punishing people. And, and it's, it's a strange way to go, man. I remember growing the, up in school, in elementary school, a teacher would give us a sticker on something and whoever got the most stickers would get a prize at the end which was maybe a racer or a pencil yeah. or something but it was something that motivated us to yeah. do things and yeah you're right the insensitive thing well, is in us as humans yeah well and 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 as humans i mean we're not happy unless we're achieving it doesn't matter which direction you're going if you feel like you're accomplishing something you're achieving you're happy and it, not everybody's equal right? And you have to celebrate people that move ahead. And those people that move ahead need to turn around and help the people behind them come. I mean, you've got people that that are, are game changers out there. You know what I mean? People that, that create and build something that's incredible. Well, then those people behind them make that better. You know what I mean? There's, there's some people that just fall into the slot where they they just want to get through life, period. Mm -hmm. But then I think 
the huge majority wants to improve, wants to do something, wants to um, wants to have a good life, you know. Yeah. And and we've we've kind of come to a point where instead of incentivizing, as I said, rewarding people, it's like I don't want to hurt that guy's feelings, so we'll just we just won't do this because he's not he or she's not good at that, you know. So everybody just stop so that they feel good instead of helping that person over that, you know, or saying, you know, you might not be good at this, but you're going to be incredible at something else, you know, and everybody, everybody is incredible at something, you know, and, and it's finding those. And, and if you go back far enough in history, that's where our trades came from. Right. I mean, if, if somebody was really good with metal, they became a blacksmith. You know, if, if somebody was um, really good at something, they could be a mechanic or, or, you know, whereas now it's kind of like, just go to school, get a good job, you know, and live your life comfortably. And that's the wrong way to tell society what to do. You know, in my mind, um, I'll give you a good example. My twin boys, right? They were, we always taught them think you know think for yourself don't worry about what other people are saying or doing think for yourself take that information digest it take what's good throw the rest away um so they went through the whole program they worked for tons of ranchers around here and they went all through 4-h and they played high school football they played university football but i never we never forced them to be cowboys or whatever and they're not, but they're both, I never forced them to be in the shop, you know, in the silver shop, because to me, something like that has to be a calling. You have to do it because you love it. Yeah, exactly. And and I see people that are doing it for the wrong reasons, you know, for they think they'll get famous or the whatever. And they're, you know, if I was going to get famous, it wouldn't be as a silversmith. Anyway, um, so the boys, they went their own way. They did a whole bunch of things. And now they're both in the silver industry. They don't do what I do. They do their own type of silver. Um, you know, skulls, crossbones, dog tags, things like that. They love doing that. You know, signet rings, a lot in the Super jewelry. Cool. Yeah. And, and they're both in my shop. You know, um, they do a lot. So everything I do is by hand. Um, I draw on paper. I don't use a computer. Um, not, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just, I feel complete when I'm drawing on paper. It's just, something. it's a part of your craft. It's yeah. It's good for my soul, you know? Um, and, and, uh, but they do a lot of drawing on computers and, and a lot of 3d work and a lot of stuff like that. And I applaud them. I love it. I think they'll, they'll probably make way more money than I ever dreamed of and they're enjoying it. So good for them. But the same token, I've enjoyed everything I do. You know, I've lived life the way I want, you know, I've got good friends that allow me to come out and indulge my cowboy when I need to. And, and I get to be creative in my shop every day. Uh, I get, I've met people. I, I've met people and, and, it sounds cliche, but uh, 
that's one of the things that make this this life so cool is the the people I've met through this from all over North America, from all over, some from Europe, some from Asia, you know, and they're just, they're, you can find great people everywhere, you know, and, and I hear this, oh, rich guys are bad. Well, I've dealt with multiple wealthy people and gracious, beautiful human beings, you know, I've dealt with people that, you know, I had one girl that, that saved up for, for nine years to buy a ring off me. And if you don't think that's a compliment, if you don't think that humbles you, there's nothing that, nothing out there will, you know? You know, we talk about calling. There are many people out there that, like you said, just do the mundane things the day to day and get by. And of course they live a comfortable life. Uh, things like you and I do or entrepreneurs do out there, you know, oftentimes it's tough. If you don't work, sometimes the bills don't get paid. So we take a different path, a different journey that is uncomfortable, but yet we find it beautiful. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I'm, I'm a restless person. I always have to, like in my work, if, if I feel my work is starting to look the same, you know, or I'm, I'm becoming repetitive. I get real uncomfortable and, and I have to push myself further. And and to me, that's what we're supposed to be. And, and, and I think a lot of the societal problems you see out there is because people have got away from that. Now, some people have to work for somebody and that's fine. Um, I would advise them to go find somebody to work for that that spurs them on, that challenges them, that you know brings the best out in them. But when you just go get a job, you know, and you work your whole life so that you can retire, you've missed your whole life, you know. And and it's um, and you don't realize it until it's too late. You've taken the safe way, but. And you see a lot of people that do that, not not all, but a lot are, um, they have trouble with jealousy. They have trouble with feeling unfulfilled and, and, and you know, drugs, alcohol, affairs, um, just negative attitudes. I think all come out of that. We, we all, you know, from, from the first human being on, you were, you were trying to pass things on so that, that you would survive, right? And 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 it wasn't that many years ago that, uh, and I mean not that many years ago, where if you didn't help your neighbor, one of you might not survive, right? And, and all our ancestors, they wanted something better for the next generation. So they worked their entire life to give something to that next generation, right? Whether it was land or business or, or whatever it was. Well, when I see those bumper stickers that say, you know, screw my kids, I'm spending their inheritance. I I I just think, man, I feel sorry for you, partner. You're you're you got it wrong. You know, and I and I go back to um, John F. Kennedy. Whatever you think of, 
you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We've kind of lost that pioneer spirit. We've kind of lost that um, patriotic. And and people can say what they want about patriotism. You know, it's, oh, the, gov the politicians don't deserve it or whatever. Well, that's not who you do it for. You do it for that next generation. And, and, and because you're a patriot, doesn't make you a bad person. And it doesn't make you hate somebody else. You know what I mean? It, it's not like, well, I love Calgary, so I hate Edmonton. It's just, True. you know, I just want to kick your ass a little bit, you know? So, <laughs> and I'll congratulate you when you kick mine, you know, Absolutely. but we're building something better. It's this times that we're in, like you said, it's very polarized. Mm -hmm. It is divisive. And... We don't celebrate failures, but we also don't celebrate winning. Exactly right. It's, and winning it, doesn't have to mean money. It, it just means, I don't know, you, you did better today. And um, people are afraid to stand out now because yep. you, you get crucified. Yep. Because it's so easy to uh, tear someone else down rather than look at yourself in the mirror or your own fort and say, what's wrong with me? And it starts with, from within, right? If you're not happy... If yeah. you're trembling, it's yeah. going out. Well, and and we're so lost because people, whether it's academia, whether it's politics, whether it's whatever, they've tried to play with, uh, for lack of a better term, they've tried to corral you. They've tried to play with your mind, you know, so, so that you're not, you know, like don't compete. You'll be mean to somebody else or, you know, rural people are bad city people are bad you know or instead of saying well let's get some understanding going here let's 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 build on this let's become as good as we can become and that next generation will will, will profit off of that mm -hmm. and, and profit as you say not monetarily but health um wisdom. wellness wellness oh. up here yeah. mentally Absolutely. And, and and it's exciting to watch that's why people love sports, right? So you watch somebody make a great basket or, or a touchdown or, or a goal, and you think, man, that guy's cool, you know? And it's because they've achieved. And, and you might be sitting in your, your house thinking, well, I can never achieve. Well, not everybody can be a professional athlete, but everybody's got something to offer. But you've got to offer. You've got to... <laughs> You've got, whether it's kindness to another person, whether it's, uh, you know, and again, I don't want to sound corny, but volunteering at the food bank, uh, working in a hospital. Um, it, we've, we've created this, as you say, divisive, this you against me world, rather than let's, you know, let's help each other out here, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all so interconnected whether you want to believe it or not i mean if if the rancher isn't there the guy the person that, that loves a nice nice um beef dinner doesn't get it right if the farmer isn't there you're not having you're not having corn or bread or or you know what i mean so learn about each other have a little fun with each other and and understand that each one of you needs the other person i mean it's a it's a very fragile world out there, 
You well, it's, it's really interesting, especially right now, the world where if I don't know something, for example, it's hard to ask the world because the world will judge you and tear you down yep. and almost cyber bully you or bully you yep. into thinking, wow, you don't know anything. What a yep. silly person. Uh, or you made a mistake. What a silly person. Um, rather than, hey, you made a mistake. But this is how you can correct it, or this is what you can do next time. You know, learn how do you people grow instead of scolding someone every time a mistake has happened. I mean, that's not intentional. Yeah. Mm. Well, and, and you know, understanding one of my worst failings was math, right? In school, and I would open up a, an algebra book, and it was like it had blank pages. So. So, but I loved history, you know? So why not encourage that and say, yeah, you gotta learn the basics here, but okay, you know, instead of saying, are you dumb? You can't, you can't figure this out, you know? It, and it's, we've- Because look, you're talking about it today, Scott. Yes. You're right, yes. so it was instilled in your mind that, and it's still deep down there, it's traumatizing. It's something that, you'll always remember is, wow, I could never get it. So I'm, I'm afraid to touch math. I'm afraid to do these things. I'm a history nut just like yourself. You know, I competed in martial arts since the age of four. And we used to have first prize, second prize, third prize. Now you can't do that anymore. You know, yeah. um, everybody gets the trophy. So how does, you know, I think there's such thing as healthy competition. I think that is good. And then, like you said, you pass the baton, you, you lift the next generation, you lift that next person up for inspiration. Complacency doesn't bring inspiration. No, and, and I don't know whether it's social media or, or what. And I hate to just blame social media because there's so much good can come out of it and does come out. I mean, look at this podcast you and I met through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and that's... Um, I, I get concerned. So you, you take somebody like Elon Musk. I don't know the guy. I don't know anything about him. But when I listen to his ex-wife talk about, um, he was a terrible husband. But he's a genius. Mm -hmm. And he was willing to, to bet everything on any, you know, his idea. He's so strong and so focused that that made him a terrible husband. But she still loves the guy. She's his ex-wife. But, you know, she celebrates what he's doing and it's people like that to change the world but the minute he buys twitter all over the place everybody's attacking the guy yeah. you know before he has time to get his chair warm you know they're judging him on well you fired this guy you fired. but two months ago they're all complaining because twitter didn't work so so that's what we've become we've become we've become a society of of uh, armchair quarterbacks and and experts and experts all on theory and and uh you know i have a problem with this though it's like why don't they the individuals that are you know again going after people like elon or or anybody per se on twitter or facebook that's where i see it mainly mainly twitter why don't they show their face why don't they have their real name it's always hidden yeah because that's easier right and you can be very brave in the shadows. When you have to step into the light, 
you've got to face somebody else. Right? Do you think that person would say that thing to the other individual, no. give or take? I don't think so. And you saw a lot of that, you know, and I'm not, I'm not condoning physical violence or anything like that. But when, when people used to be able to settle their differences, you know, oh yes, one way or the other, and, and it, I mean, bullies always got taken care of, right? They always got taken care of in the end. But when that all changed, when it became you can't do that. And I'm not condoning that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not condoning physical violence. But when that wasn't there, when that possibility wasn't there anymore, oh man, there was a whole bunch of people that would say things they would never ever say before, you know? And 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 the computer has uh, social media has just blown that up because you can hide and, and never be accountable, you know? Which one of us is perfect? Which one of us doesn't have something that they're ashamed of in their past? Which one of us, you know, isn't the expert we think we are, you know? And and we've, we've become a society where uh, people are, my great grandfather always used to say to me when we talked about horses, he would say, the minute you think you got it all figured out. It's the beginning to the end. It's it, you're done, you know? And, 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 but people now, they want everybody to think they have it figured out. I mean, it's not cool to be finding your way, right? And, and making mistakes and learning and uh, screwing up. You know, you brought up the thing about the past. Of course, we've all made mistakes. Yeah. But guess what? We're human beings. What are you going to do? Like, you have to learn. You, you have to trip. And, you know, to walk, you fall. How many times? I, I, I go back to a, an interview with Anthony Hopkins when they asked him, "Do you have regrets?" And he said, "No, because that's just who I was." You know, and there's a man who, you know, he's been an actor all his life, but at one point was a horrible alcoholic, right? And I read that the story about him about him and a friend, and I think they were in L.A. and they were going to a house party. And, and they'd been drinking all day kind of deal. And, and they get up to the stairs and he's going to touch the door handle. And it just hits him that I've got a choice here to make. You know, I can either become the best I can become or I can keep going where I'm going. And he turned around and went home and he hasn't touched a drop of alcohol since and become became a great actor from that point on. It's personal choice. And, and and determination and if we could do more than that more of that and less criticizing others it would would it not be a fantastic world mm -hmm. and Look, he faced himself didn't he anthony faced yes. himself he didn't go uh, out there to and continued on that path which would have ended up in resentfulness bitterness hate yeah well and and and, and for that for me, um, I go back to animals and I go back to the, the profession I picked, right? And, and both of them are very humbling. Um, animals, they'll correct you, you know? They'll wait and they'll correct you. If you're pushing a horse around, if you're, if you're not being kind, 
there's going to come a point where they're going to kick you, step on you, buck you off, run you over, whatever they need to do to square that circle. You know what I mean? <laughs> to close that circle. And, and it's the same with my work. If I don't go in there and understand my material, learn my material, um, invest in that in my head, you know, read everything I can read about it, um, get all the repetition I can do, then I can't fulfill my dream. It's going to stop me. And, and every time I think I can push it, it pushes back. And you can call it karma. You can call it the way of the world. You can call it whatever you want. But it's a fact. It's there, you know. So, and and that's the way it is with life. If you're if you're uh, if you're good with the ones around you, they'll be good to you, you know. And and if there's somebody in there that isn't, first you need to understand why. And then there comes to a part a point where. Some people need help, and some people are just shitheads, and you just say goodbye, you know? You really need to know which bridges to burn. Exactly. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's okay. It's a healthy thing for you to do. Right? You know, there's only so many times you can help someone until they need to face themselves and help themselves. That's exactly right. And and sometimes you're just enabling it when you, when you just keep helping. Sometimes, again, it's... it's I go to livestock. It, it comes to that point where you have to understand where to let go. You know, where, you know, this is, this is as far as we can go here. Let's, let's try another route, you know? And, and if it's somebody, you know, the guys I worked with in the mountains, I was very young when I went up there, 15. And, and uh, I was working with lots of people that had been in those mountains for 20, 30 years, old cowboys and, and, uh, None of them would tell you you did a good job. I mean, that just wasn't the way of it. But they'd let you be there if you did a good job. You know what I mean? They'd let you ride with them if you did a good job. If you didn't, you can wait back at the corral or you can go that way, you know. But if you did a good job, if they saw you were trying, then they would help you in a quiet way, you know. And and you learn that from stock, to be honest with you. And And you talk about um, failure and, 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 and if you're not failing, you're not learning, you're not pushing yourself. And, and the society has, you know, society wants us all to be, or want, has everybody thinking they all have to be winners. And you know what? Breathing is a pretty good part of winning, you know? So if, if you can, if you can, um, if you can pick a profession that, that you can excel at, you know, and if, and if you, I mean, we all have to find our ways, right? And, and everything in life is an experience and, and you have to move through one to get to the other. You can't stand still and, and you can't let somebody tell you, you can't do that. Now, one of the best pieces of advice I got was always be careful who you learn from. You know, it, I mean, there's people out there that will criticize. Um, there's people out there that pretend to be helping you or criticize you that are holding you back. 
And then there's truly that person out there that says, you know, perhaps you should try this. And they walk away. And you got to think about that. And and those are usually the ones that you, they're not telling you to change. They're not doing anything. They're just suggest, you know, like, because nobody can do it for you. But that's what everybody wants, right? Like, if I can't do something, can you do it for me? You know? Take the handout. <laughs> exactly. You know? And that's not the way the world works. So, as you can tell, sitting on a horse or sitting in my at my bench, I think way too much. So, <laughs> well, speaking about that, you know, you're you're on your horse or you're you're at your bench. I mean, forty-one years. You know, where does inspiration come from? How does how do you stay excited through it all? And the other thing I want to talk to you about, Scott, is. You know, mental health. Of course, we hear about mental health in the city, but what about the rural areas? You know, oftentimes isolation. Yeah. Getting caught up in your thoughts. You know, that's scary. As long as they're healthy, that's different. But if they're not, I mean, you know, we have bleak winters. Yeah. And you have to fight that negativity. You have to fight it. You know, like, again, the profession that I chose is not normal, right? It's not, uh, it's, so there's a lot of pressure that way. Um, I'll tell you a quick little story. I had a, uh, I was at a show in, in, in Las Vegas one year, an exhibition in, in sale. And a guy came up that I really respected who had been a Western silversmith for years and then had turned into a jeweler. And, and uh, he came up to me and he said, Scott, you're dumb. And I said to him, well, what do you mean by that, Tracy? And he's kind of a joker. So, you know, and he said, uh, when I went from Western silversmithing to jewelry, my income went up five times that year. And I said, yeah, I know, but man, I love building Western buckles and, and stuff. And he said, yeah, I know you're dumb. You know, so <laughs> he was he was pointing it out, but you wouldn't excel at being a jeweler because this no. is your calling. This is what you love. This is what you like to wake up for. Well, and and to me, it connects me with my history and heritage so much. You know, being a Western silversmith, and at one point, I came to the to the understanding that I could I could do more. And this sounds ideologic, but. I came to the point where I understood I could do more at my bench for the Western culture than I could in my saddle. You know, I could make a bigger contribution. As far as inspiration, for me, that's something that they should teach in school, right? That there's never an end point. You know, you can always be one step better. My, my grandma always used to say to me, do the best job you can do every day, you know? And and that's resonated a lot with me. And, I, and I'm, by nature, I am a curious person. People that know me might not understand that, but I am. So that's one of the reasons silversmithing was such a draw to me. It's because you can never defeat it, right? You can never come to the end of that trail. You can never think, okay, I know how to do this, so I can just go. Because there's always one more thing you can do. There's always 
one thing you learn. That's where social media is so fast. Because I can, I go on there and I and I watch silversmiths and jewelers from all over the world, and they're incredible, man. And there's so much stuff I can learn off, and there's so much. It's so exciting to me to, well, how did that guy do that? That's that's bizarre. Or I've never watched him raise a a full vase, you know, and 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 so I can watch that on there, and it's like, oh, okay, now I get it, you know, and and it's, there's so many things that that stimulate you and move you ahead, and so I think, well, how can I bring that into my world, you know? Yeah. And if you look at the the cowboy culture, the culture of the West, the North American West, I mean, when I say that, it's all about in in um, it's all about innovation. And, and that's something that most people don't get, you know, they don't. So everybody that's here is an immigrant. You know, we all came from someplace, whether it was over the Bering Strait or on a ship or on a plane, it doesn't matter. We all came from someplace. So we came here and and we had to make this land work for us. So our customs and practices from where we came from, we brought them here and threw them into that melting pot. And whatever worked, that got used. The others got discarded. So that's the way I look at Western Silversmith. There's never an end date. And it's very inspiring to me because I want to find out what those other people are doing all over the world and how they're doing it, and then bring it into my culture, bring it home, bring it, bring it to where I can understand it. Forty-one years later, so talk about not being complacent. You're always learning. You're always curious about life. In terms of the Western culture, are you seeing a shift? Is it fading? We have here in Calgary the Stampede, which is one of my favorite times of the year, the rodeo. You know, that's the time people celebrate Western culture. Do you see now it's becoming a, into fashion and everyday attire? Well, I hope it does. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little undecided. It can be a little faddish, you know, um, if that's a word. But so, again, because we're such a, and I hate to use the word melting pot, but because we are such a melting pot. We have a tendency to forget where we came from, you know, and and uh, and really celebrate that. Now, I don't mean that everybody has to be a cowboy. I, what, what I'm saying is understand that culture and understand what made Alberta strong. And, and it was all kinds of things that made Alberta strong. But if you look at if you look at the 1890s, I mean, we were grazing, you know, a million head of cattle here. By the 1890s, uh, because of refrigeration and, and people driving cattle north to Wyoming and, and Montana, they were pretty well grazed off. But Alberta, parts of Saskatchewan, parts of Alberta, because of the Chinooks, it was, it was like a mecca, right? So people started bringing cattle up there. The first thousand head came up in, in 1879 right by high river and it's just growing stronger and stronger and stronger and i mean there's you know why not celebrate that why not celebrate 
kind of what what gave us the footing you know i mean what gave us the stampede does a fantastic job but it's that much right i mean 10 days of 365 yeah and we've got we've got a, a government and it doesn't matter what stripe they are that doesn't celebrate it uh federally and provincial i mean uh, um friends of mine i've got two friends that are uh mps and they'll both tell you the museum of man in ottawa has no western art in None. not one representation nothing and that's this culture this i call it cowboy culture the culture of the north american west is so strong and vibrant and again gave us the footing to get where we are today and yet it's totally ignored other than 10 days of the year you know and 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 again you go back to it's a misunderstanding you know uh, um let's let's celebrate everybody's culture except this one you know and and we're at fault and and i'll I'm great with stories, but I'll tell you a, a, a very quick one. In eight in 1989, my cousin saddlemaker, cousin Austin Mawson, and I went to Equitana in in Essen, Germany, and uh, it was 42 countries that come together. Equitana was the name of the the show, and and it still goes on today. But 42 different countries come there, all with horses to show their culture and their horses off. So the opening night, I'm I'm standing in this room full of people, horsemen, horse people from 42 different countries. And I'm standing there and I'm looking around and, and I'm thinking, well, look at all the cute little outfits, you know, like they're all in their natural, a bit of a smart ass, right? And then I get thinking, man, they're all looking at me the same way, you know? That was the first time in my life that it dawned on me that this is a culture, you know? And and I'd just been raised with hats and boots, you know? And so I thought, you know, there was people that wore hats and boots and people that didn't. It wasn't a culture. But that was a big change in my life right then. And I started studying the history a little more our our family first and then branched out and and it's such an incredible history and 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 it's literally like i said earlier it it gave us the footing that we stand on now you know and the, but it's not celebrated hmm. if i go to uh if i go to montana or wyoming or idaho for example they have special um, um, governor's awards for people in the Western industry, uh, whether it's art or stock or whatever, that they give out a governor's award because they're, they're celebrating that history. We do nothing like that here. Nothing. We, we, we bypass it totally. Now, the Stampede does a little bit of stuff like that, but, you know, they're a corporation, too. You know, so they've got they've got a different drummer to march to. You said it right. It's like doesn't matter what stripes you're wearing. It just you have to just well, ignore and, it. And for me, it's so bizarre. I mean, the misrepresentation, right? I mean, if you truly want a federation to work, if you truly mm -hmm. want a company to work, you, you don't just say, 
you don't sit in the office and look down on everybody and say, this is how it's going to work. You say, you from the shipping department, how can we make this better? You from here, you from here, you know, how do we make this better? And to me, that makes common sense, right? I mean, um, why can't government be the same way? Why does it all have to be ego-based? Why has it, you know, I know best and, and, and you know, everything works on a five-year cycle, you know, give me a break. Life is not a five-year cycle. And when we can get back to the same people and, and I get so tired of, you know, I don't, I don't care. Um, I don't care whether it's government or a business. If you can't sit down and say, what's the problem? Give me some solutions. You're failing. And we're not doing that. It's not, it's well, you're liberal or you're conservative, you're NDP. So all your ideas are bad. Get out of here. You know, talking, opening up the conversation, help in a healthy manner, not the Twitter way. Not the Twitter way. Sitting down and saying, look, here's our objective. We want to make Canada the strongest country it can possibly be. Now we have to respect the environment. We have to respect this. We have to respect that, the peoples. But the minute you start saying, well, whatever our cause is out there, let's say that. You've instantly caused division. And, and, and until we can start thinking about that, until we can, and, and, and I hate saying this, but um, there's Eastern Canada and there's Western Canada. And, you know, there's an old cartoon from 1905, the year they became provinces. And, and there's a big old milk cow eating in the West getting milked in Ontario and pooping on the Maritimes. That's 1905. It ain't changed, you know? And until we can decide that this country is equal, until we can decide that every part of this country is as important as the other part, never going to thrive as a country. Never. You know, and... Yeah, and we we forget oftentimes that we're all Canadians. We're all trying to move the ball forward. We all got to work together. We're all human beings. As long as this life we think it is, it's not. It, you, we sure. can have a beautiful life. We all can if we we all work together instead of, I mean, well, and, and, that's and, a hoaxy poxy fairy tale of everyone being happy, go lucky. Start. Start and, somewhere. And, and it's, they've, instead of uniting and moving ahead, they've done a great job of separating, as I said. So they'll, so they don't say, well, Alberta's redneck. So everybody should hate Alberta. Mm-hmm. Well, Quebec's just there for Quebec. So everybody should hate Quebec. Ontario's Toronto's the center of the universe. So everybody should love Toronto. You know, like, I mean, you just can't, you cannot survive as a family or a country that way. And, and I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think people have come to that understanding yet, you know, and it's sad for me because, again, I don't care if you're from Quebec or Ontario or I don't Angola. I don't I don't care if you come here and you want to be here and you're a good person. I'm going to like you. 
you know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate you, you know, but this divisive stuff has to stop. And, and I find it in my profession a lot too, where people try and, and, and divide, and I shouldn't say it a lot, but you'll get somebody that's coming in and they've got two or three years experience, right? In but silversmith? They, yeah. Yeah. Or, or yeah, silversmith. I'm going to we'll say that. And they get so many accolades on, uh, on social media and it's people that aren't qualified giving them the accolades. You know what I mean? They're not coming somebody like me. That's, that's worked hard for 40 years and saying, so what do you think of my work? Right. How can I improve? Oh, I see what you're saying. They're, they're, they're waiting for somebody on social media to say, wow, that's cool. And, and then they can look at me and say, well, you know what? I got 10,000 likes on that. What'd you get in your last piece? Mm -hmm. So that's what makes them better in their minds. But the quality isn't there, you know? And, and, and part of the, again, I was so blessed because part of the way I, um, when I got into this, one of my greatest mentors was a guy by the name of Chuck Storms. He's still alive. He's a saddle maker uh, out at Millerville. But a guy that was literally at the top of his profession for 50 years. He's retiring now. But uh, he always used to tell me, when you're finished a project, sit down with a paper and pencil and write down everything that was good and everything that was wrong. And then just keep that in your mind and don't make those same mistakes next time. And he always said, hang out with somebody better than you so that you can get as good as them. Don't hang out with the guys that are under you. And he didn't mean that in a negative sense, but you know, everybody gets comfortable sitting there. You know, if, if, if they're, if they can all be the same, like you said earlier, they can all be the same and nobody raises to the top. That's in their mind, a good place to be. Well, you got your five friends that are always liking your posts, which is really nice and really, yeah. you know, I appreciate the support, but it's, can I get out there? Am I, you know, is a podcast, for example, is it gaining traction or is it just staying with the same five, 10 people, which is great. Cause you need, initial support but you're you're hoping for more you don't want to just stay complacent and be like yeah I, I have 10 supporters well i'm good yeah well and and, and just that drive to get better right like mm -hmm. it, i think a lot about i listened to a, an interview with a an old newscaster a few years ago and he was talking about how they used to walk up and down the hallways in between newscasts reading the next newscast and they would record it and listen back to it so that they could hear themselves. You know, where am I, where am I going wrong? What am I emphasizing? What am I not emphasizing? You know, on and on and on. Interesting. Whereas the ones today, I mean, it's all on the computer screen in front of them. The teleprompter. Yeah. And, and they're reading it and you can hear them when that thing's refreshing, they just stop talking, you know, and, and, it's, and they've taken the, the strive. I'm not saying they don't want to get better. But what I'm saying is that it's acceptable, so okay, we'll do it that way. Do you think the world has just gone so fast, uh, information overload, there's just so much thrown at us at all times? Do you think a part of why you love what you do is you can control your own time? You're, 
that's something we can hold. It's tangible. You, you talked about mental health and that's a huge part of mental health is, is understanding your limits. I mean, understanding what inspires you and what doesn't inspire you, right? What overloads you? Like you, you can listen to news 24 seven. You can't control any of that, but you can listen to it. And you'll find yourself, and I found this in myself, that you get caught up in it. And, and then you want to read the next one and the next one and the next one. And, and, and pretty soon you can't wait to get out of bed in the morning and read it on your phone. Well, what did they do? You know, and you've got no control of that. So, so people get so hung up in that that they can't even live their lives properly, right? So I had to, at one point, because my work demands so much out of me, I, I mean, I can't, I can't go in and start a project and just, uh, just fake my way through it, right? I have to, a big part of my job is problem solving every step of the way. And I honestly feel that, that I have another thing that that's, uh, weighs on me beautifully and that's somebody has come to me with they want part of me they want part of my my creativity i mean they want it to be theirs but they so i feel a great responsibility to do the best job i can do for that person that's had faith in me i want to know what they want and i want it to be about them not about me took me a lot of years to figure that out so when i got caught up listening to talk radio and reading news and on and on and on. Or you'd leave it probably on in the shop or the studio. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, and, and instead of concentrating, I'd find myself, well, what did they say? You know? So I had to stop that. I, I went back to music and, and, you know, if I want to, if I want information, if I'm doing something like polishing or, or something that, I don't have to give my full focus to. I listen to podcasts. I listen to to something that that I can learn from, you know, not something that I can't control, you know. And and of course, you know, I'll listen to news or read news mm -hmm. once or twice a day because you got you can't live. In you a can't world. avoid it. You need to understand yeah. what's going on in the world, but also kind of have your own thoughts and opinions to almost put a guard up so it's like you're reading it but you're not absorbing it fully exactly and and you form opinions right i mm -hmm. i have never not voted you know long these guys you got quite a bit of respected individuals you got ian tyson out there which yeah. you need a buckle for yeah. um, you've got john scott from john scott Productions. Uh, john scott is um uh, john scott is a great westerner there's just no other way around it and and i feel very honored that that um over the years um i'm kind of bumbling around here but it over the years through the traditional cowboy arts association which i'm a founding member of yes i brought people up from the national cowboy museum because i wanted them to understand the history and heritage of this area okay where's the national cowboy museum oklahoma city Oklahoma okay. City. And what is the organization that you founded consist of? What does it do? Well, it's uh, the traditional Cowboy Arts Association was founded 
1998 to preserve and promote the cowboy traits, cowboy crafts of Western silversmithing, saddle making, bit and spur making, and rawhide braiding. We found at the time that these, these great trades were getting watered down. They were getting taken over by uh, production companies, you know, and the quality was dropping and they were claiming it was the highest quality. Mm. So it was a group of masters that got together that formed the TCAA, as we call it. And, and our number one thing, again, is to preserve, promote, and perpetuate those traditional cowboy traits. So our biggest educational tool is uh, our annual exhibition and sale at the National Cowboy Museum in Western, they call it the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City. And that honestly is the greatest museum dedicated strictly to the West in the world. It's just 300 and some odd thousand square feet of everything from cowboy to sailing ships to however you want to view the West. So we've had an annual exhibition and sale there since 1999. And through that, I got privileged to know some of their board members and different people like that. And I brought them up here to see this country. And, and through that, when I would bring them up here, I'd bring them to the Bar U, I'd bring them to the OH, I'd bring them to John Scott. And, and through that, these people recognized John for who he was. And a few years ago, he was uh, nominated for the Chester Hape Award. And that's a Lifetime Achievement Award, award for moving the Western culture ahead. And last year, he got it. He was he was nominated and won, and uh, he's one of those so well deserved. Oh man, he's one of those individuals. I mean, the guy's in his eighties, and he's still horseback most days. He's still, if you've whether it was with our football team when the boys were in high school, or a board member from the National Cowboy Museum that I phoned John and say uh, to the football team, "Hey, these kids." Need to make some money. Have you got any ideas, John? Oh, yeah, bring them down. He'd bring them down and pay them Wrangler's wages to sweep out the buildings on the sets, you know, or, or paint the fence or whatever, the whole football team. And, and he would bring them lunch. And, you know, and I'd say, well, John, just pay him whatever you want to pay him. He's no, no, I'll pay him Wrangler wages. Each kid, you know, got paid good wages. And that all went into the, to the athletic society. So, or bringing a board member up, no matter how busy he is, he will take him and, and he'll show him the ranch and he'll show him the sets and talk to him about the history of the area. And he's third generation on that ranch, right? But John, I mean, he, he runs the horses and, and, and animals for movies and everything like that, but he also runs a hell of a ranch, you know, and he oh, owns... he's got bison? Oh, he's got bison, he's got cattle, he's got, you know, a hundred and some odd head of horses and there isn't anything connected with the West that John isn't knee deep in, you know, and, and he's such a, he's such a, uh, I don't know how to say it. He's such a stoic figure for the West, you know, he's just a no bullshit guy, <laughs> you know, he'll, if he sees you're trying to do good, he's going to help you. If he sees you're screwing up, he'll call you, you know, I mean, that's, that's what the West's about, you know, mm -hmm. And he's good with everybody. I've gone to a few places, and there'll be something, and they'll just say John Scott Productions. I'm like, 
Oh my goodness. Like he's everywhere in different places if you know. Yeah. Well, you take the, the Calgary Stampede Parade. You know, I mean, there's years when he's had well over 100 head of horses in there. And he organizes the whole deal, you know, the horse part. You know, I've had John on the podcast and there's something about that gentleman and there's not many left. No. And just, there's nothing phony about it. No. A thousand years. There's nothing phony about John. You know, he's he's a good guy. He, uh, yeah. So, you know, like you said, he's a pillar of the West. There's not many left. No, and he's a character, right? Oh, he's yes. One of those guys that's a character. And, and characters are frowned upon in today's society. You're supposed to fit in, right? And and John never fit in. So, and, you know, I think that's what you, so there's people that are trying to be characters just to be characters, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's people that are just characters. And, and John's just one of those characters. He's a very serious individual. But he's also, I don't, I, I, I don't even know how you, you get that open in your life, right? I mean, where you can call him up and it doesn't matter how busy he is. Yeah, come on over. You know, that's just, that's John, you, you know, because he'll do anything he can. I mean, it, at when you're in your 80s, it's not like you're going to, gain a whole bunch by doing that right you know a lot of people hit hell they hit their 70s and they just shut the door right but here's a guy in his 80s and he's still going hard man oh yeah he had, the, when i talked to him on the podcast he had just uh, come in from being out there i think man how does this guy do all these things yeah. <laughs> he's got the energy to talk to me right now in this moment in time and think yep yeah. and, and not only that i listened to his acceptance speech at the Western Heritage Awards in, in Oklahoma City. And his whole thing was preserving the West. His whole talk. It wasn't about, well, when I was a kid, I did this and I did that. It was about how are we going to preserve the West? How how are we going to keep this going for the next generation? We've got to think about these things. We've got to bring new people in. We've got to, you know, on it. That was his whole talk, you know. So that tells you the cut of the man right there, you know. Yeah, he's a remarkable human, I would have to say. Well, and, and, and you know, there's there's people out here that just live that life. You know what I mean? It's they're, not a, it's not uh, dressing up for Stampede. It's who they are. It's like yourself. It's who you are. It's I mean, how many generations for yourself, Scott, you know? Five generations that I'm very proud of, you know? And, and I look at my cousins and, you know, I mean... Even my brother that kind of walked away from it, you know, he got more interested in motorcycles and horses when he was about 15, but he loves this land. I mean, it's the reason we bought this and we bought it together. Um, the two couples, my, my wife and him and his wife was so that the family had an anchor, you know, for as many generations as, as wants to be here, you know, mm-hmm. we want a place where they can call home every one of them you know, and a place to be proud of, and, you know, that's, that's the point of this land is, is to have an anchor. So it makes sense. Like you have to have some place that no matter how far your kids are or their kids are in the world, they know you come here, this is home. So I was where I was raised with my grandparents, all our relatives lived around us. Right. And Christmas dinners would often have 
40 plus people at it, you oh know? Yeah. And it was, you know, everybody was in the kitchen, everybody was around the table, everybody was, it was a sense of family. And when my grandparents, you know, we all kind of squirted out wherever we went. And, and when my grandparents sold their home and moved into a smaller home, it was devastating, man. I mean, because no matter what had happened in the world, you, you could always go back there. Well, you could still go to grandma and grandpa's, but it was different, right? It, it wasn't the same. And that always resonated with me. You know, I, I would like from our generation on to have this place. So no matter where they are in the world, they have that anchor. They have that, you know, it, it's like, and this sounds a little morbid, but it's like you having a cemetery. You know, where you got a headstone, you can go and visit, you know, and uh, you don't understand how strong that is in a person's psyche, in their being, you know, it's just one of those comfort points that, that you, you know, and I know it's the, I know it's the person, I know it's the family. If your grandparents are around, what would they think of all this your your world today your your two boys you know what they have become well i i i know they'd be proud yeah. and and i know they'd enjoy the fact that we're carrying the heritage you know and um yeah i know they'd be proud because it, it's family was always so strong to them and the heritage was always so strong to them and and um being a good person meant a lot to them being uh, being in this world for a reason you know and and excelling not to excel but to excel for the right reasons you know so that so for me at at 65 years of age you know i don't i don't know how much longer i have in my shop i think 10 years good lord willing maybe 15 Maybe two. Who knows? Does that scare you, by the way? Um, it did. You know, when I realized it, it really bothered me. Yeah. You know, and and then again, you know, <laughs> again that mental. It really bothered me, and I, and I, and I got a little depressed about it. And, sure. You know, is this as far as I I can go? Is this, you know? And then I realized, well, I'm doing the best work I've ever done, right now. So why can't I just keep going until that doesn't work anymore? And then and then figure out from there how can I how can I perpetuate that? How can I you know, one of the things through the TCA is is we teach. That's one of our mantras. We we have to teach. And and I actually have a student coming here from Oregon in, in December. And I feel good that I can pass that knowledge on. If I can pass that uh, if I can pass that knowledge to my boys, to other people that are serious and, and understand the word serious. I don't teach people that are playing. I don't, I don't have time for that. And I'm not trying to be cruel or mean. There's a lot of people that will teach people that are just starting to learn or, you know, get them going where I feel I can make a, 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 a where I can make a dent, where I can move things ahead is by taking somebody that's, you know, has proven their dedication and, and maybe they're stuck or maybe they, they're just at that point where they need a boost, 
you know, or yeah, I don't, I don't know how to say it past there. I, so you I, pass your mentorship, what you've learned to the next generation, you're passing that baton on similar to what we said is, you know, you have to try and excel and be the best you can be. When we talked about competition, I wasn't really talking about other people. I was talking about, we got to outbeat ourselves, right? Yeah. That's the real competition. And when you finally hit that pinnacle or that level, you got to pass it on that gift. Yeah. Well, and there's one thing that, that people I think overlook a lot and that's always understanding where you are in your life. Right. So if you're 25 years old and you're just hitting it hard, trying to learn and move ahead, that's different than when you're 45 years old and, and now you're in the position where you got some tools in your toolbox. Right. And then it's time to start thinking, how can I use these tools? And, and it's always realizing how old you are and where you are in life, right? So so at 65, if I'm still thinking like I'm 25, I'm in trouble, you know? I've gotta be thinking, I've got these tools, what can I create and how can I share this, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, a lot of, a lot of um, so again, I'll go back to the responsibility of being a silversmith, right? So if a guy comes to me, and, and and this is this is the way I look at my life. This is the way I look at my profession. Um, if somebody comes to me and they want a, a buckle, for example, a, a three-piece set, a rancher-style buckle, I want to know who that person is. You know, I want to visit with them a little bit. I want to understand what makes them tick, you know. And, and I'm not going to sit down and get them to lay in a couch and talk to me, but I'm just going to visit with them and ask them questions and, and when I get that done, then I go to design. And, and as I design, that's always going through my head, you know, who these people are, what they are, what they stand for, what they, you know, what is their purpose in life? What is this? What is that? Whether they're, you know, living in the city and always wish they were in the country or vice versa or whatever. I want to know who they are so that when I create that piece and, and when they put it on, it makes them feel good, right? And, and past that, you know, three years after they've got that piece or five years or 10 years, it's not a buckle that Scott Hardy made it. It's not a piece of silver that's got a flask or whatever that Scott Hardy made. It's yours, right? It's grandpa's. Grandpa carried that all his life. Grandpa wore that all his life. When grandpa's done, it goes to the next person. You know, they dig up jewelry that's 7,000 years old, 8,000 years old. I mean, you can, it's got nothing to do with who made it. It's what that can give to that person that owns it. You know, and it's, we just talked about a touchstone. You know, think about that for a second. And, and I've, I've thought about this for years, you know. It's a big obligation, you know. So if you're going to go to a, you're going to go to a meeting someplace, you got an important meeting and you go to your closet and you get a, you pull out a shirt and you put it on. Well, it's a little tight, but uh, you know, it's clean or work, you know, you get a pair of pants and well, okay. They're not kind of the, I don't really like these pants, but they're nice and clean. I'm going to wear them. And, and you go off to the meeting, right. And, and you just got that little, little grating in the back of your head. You're just not comfortable. You're just not, you know, now if you go to your closet, 
and you pull out a shirt and you think, damn, I love this shirt. And you put that shirt on, you know, and God, I look good in that, you know, and put your pants on, you put your favorite buckle on, you go in that meeting, you own it. You the man, you know, and, and that's part of my responsibility is making you making that buckle or whatever I create a touchstone of your life. Something identity. Identity and comfort. You know, I watch people at, and and this is the highest compliment I can ever take. You know, I've watched people that I've built stuff for buckles mainly where they're talking to somebody and their hand goes down and they touch that buckle. I've won right there. I've won. That's all I need in my soul. Uh, that's a, and yeah, that's a, that's a, <laughs> yeah. That Nailed it. So, so, so when I walk into my shop every day, that's my mentality, right? <clears throat> I'm like everybody else. I get tired. I get sore. I get grumpy. I get all kinds of things, but it's, it's kind of like, I listened to Reba McIntyre do an interview years ago. And she said, no matter what's going on off stage, when I step on stage, that all goes away because those people paid a lot of money to come see me and they deserve the best I can give. And that's the same way I feel every time I step into my shop. You know, it's my job to take this as far as I can. It's my job to pass this on. It's my job that everybody that gets a piece of my work loves and enjoys it. You know, it, it's got to be the right it's got to be the right fit. And, and I'm not saying that to be egotistical. No. I'm saying that because that I win because I feel good, not because they feel good. Well, you know quali I mean? quality is fading, and we all know that. You know, craftsmanship, yeah. personalization, like you taking the time out to understand someone and see who are you and how can I apply that into something that could be passed on through generations, not just a buckle. Well, and, and it's, you hit on something very, very good there. I mean, when you, uh, very important, I should say, when you talk about high quality hand work, you're talking about some person, male or female, that, that has taken their entire energy and life and sacrificed to become good at what they do, right? It's a single focus because these trades will not let you do a hundred different things. You got to, if, if you want to be the best, you got to focus every day. You got to focus and the energy. So head, heart and hand, you know, it's an old saying head, heart and hand, but you work with that every day. So that energy going into that, you know, it's special. It's, it's so different than something that was just pumped out in the factory. And, and somebody you, you're paying that person $20 an hour to run that machine. They don't really give a shit what's coming out of that machine. And I'm not saying that in a rude way. I'm just saying they're just filling a quota, period. Whereas a craftsperson, an artist, and, and I find no line between the two. You can't be a great artist without being a great craftsperson to start. But that person has dedicated so much of their life, so much of their energy, so much of their being into that piece that, that it's, I mean... It's literally, again, sounds corny, but a part of your soul is in each piece that goes out there. So when I go to Oklahoma, when we have our exhibition and sale, and you walk in that room and like this year, there's 55 pieces in there of the highest quality you can find. People's 
So the mantra for that show is, is to create a minimum of three pieces that you've never created before, taking your trade further down the road, right? So it's a big responsibility. But you walk in that room and, and uh, you stand in the center of all this stuff and you can just feel the energy. You know. You can just feel you know, and and uh, you can also, it, it's so amazing to me that, uh, so <laughs> the very first year we did this show, and that was our mantra, right? You create something you've never created before or something you've created taking it further than, than you did last time, you know? So the first year when somebody gives you that, those marching orders, it's, oh, wow, this is cool right mm. so the second year it's oh okay well i just finished my 23rd year of that right so there comes a point in there where people say well where did your creativity come from well it came from my last piece and, and i have all this all this beautiful we talked about competition we have all this beautiful um expectations, competition from these other great craftspeople, artists around us to do better. So you learn and you move ahead. And like I said, when we started, there was 14 craftsmen and, and they were all right at that point, they were all at the top of their career, right? So I look at the first catalog from 1999 to this year's catalog and I can see my journey and, and there's three still active members in there, but that forcing yourself every year, that mandate every year, I mean, it's taken my career way past where it ever would have went without it, you know. You know, on your website, Scott, so scotthardy.com for the listeners. Um, but I think, you had an, I think you had an article somewhere I had seen. Yeah, here we go. I'm just going to put this up for a second. Um, I thought this was super cool. So, you, you know, last year was your 40th year. <laughs> you showed 1980 and you showed 2020. I thought it was so neat to just show that reference yeah. back and forth. Well, and, and that's funny because the first one was my buckle, right? And, I man, I thought I was I was just kicking it, man. I was awesome. And I do think it's still awesome, by the way, your oh, 1980. <laughs> but this buckle below it, I created that for a great client and friend. Yeah. Uh, a, a young fella from from California, and and I drew his monogram. And this is when we're, when we're talking about working together. And this guy, he was an accountant, but he's kind of got a a real um, artistic side to him. He's just such a cool individual, and his dad's such cool. His whole family is cool. Anyway, so I did his his monogram, and it was based pretty straight up and down, you know. And and uh, I sent it to him, and. His name's Jason, and he said, you know, Scott, um, I like it, but I'm a little more relaxed than that. You know, can we can we do something a little more relaxed? So that's where it kind of got the, you know, oh, yes. kind of leaning against the fence post or, or however you want to visualize, you know. So that the the that's what I mean about the interpretation where you can you don't do that by mistake. You do that on purpose, right? You, you, you get to that part in your career. And, and when I did that first buckle in 1980, um, 
yeah, it was fun. And, and, and again, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I, there was nobody at that point would, would teach you how to engrave. Nobody would, I mean, there was nobody in Canada that would teach you and the guys in the States. I mean, I remember I, I went to Chuck Storms because he was using silversmiths and uh, that that's kind of a funny story. <laughs> he, 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 I was at a trade show in Calgary and somebody came up to my booth and they said, do you know Chuck Storms? And I said, no, so we should meet him. So I phoned him and uh, I said, can I come show you some of my work? He said, yeah, you come on over and, and bring some pieces with me. So I did. And I thought driving there, I'm thinking this guy, and that was not long after that buckle. And, and I'm thinking this guy's going to look at my work and tell everybody to leave. You know, uh... so, so I drive over there and and he says, you can just spread it out on my bench. So I spread it out on his bench and I stand there and Chuck starts looking at it. Right. And at that point, he smoked a pipe and uh, he lit his pipe and he started looking at the work. And I'm standing there and he's looking and he's looking and he's looking. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to get really uncomfortable, you know, because he's looking at this way too hard, way too long. And finally, he looks up at me and he says, man, do you need help? <laughs> so so at that point, I could have either taken my buckles or taken my work and put it in a case and left, said thanks, mm -hmm. or ask him how to, how to get better. And I asked him how to get better. And so he showed me some work of a, of a guy by the name of Mark Drain, who's still a friend and a mentor to this day. And, and uh, I said, man, that's cool. Can I go see this guy? And Chuck looked at me and said, no, you're not good enough. <laughs> I love it. So, so Humbling. So, yeah. So, well, how do I get better? So he gave me some suggestions and on it. And when I followed that one up, he gave me more and I followed that one up. And it was three years later when he said, yeah, I think Mark would like to see you now, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's uh, the journey, right? And, and everywhere in your life, like we were talking earlier, you can say to heck with you and put your stuff in a bag and walk out, or you can say, how do I get better? Right. And that's, that's, all that's what I've always tried to instill in my, mm -hmm. my family, my sons. And uh, I'll tell you, no one pushes me harder than my wife. You know, she's, she's a fantastic, beautiful woman, but she, you know, if it's bullshit, she calls it. You know, so <laughs> isn't that important to have the right partner, someone that will call you out, not always agreeing with you? You know, yeah. Oftentimes we don't like it, but it's oh, better. You way. don't like it, but it's it makes you better. And and when you understand that, again, it goes back to somebody criticizing you because they want to hurt you or hold you back, or are they criticizing you because they want you to move ahead? Mm -hmm. You know, because they know you've got more. And she's obviously one of the people that knows I have more. And she's a very artistic person. And and uh, she does all my photography. She does all my posts. She does all that kind of stuff. So I can work in my shop. And it is a beautiful partnership. I know people that, that do it without a partner, but it, it's sure nicer to do it with a partner. Mm -hmm. I feel like I talk to Leslie more on social media than you. Well, I answer my posts. Do you? She okay. Yeah. yeah, I no, I answer all my posts. And that's, it has to be me, right? Mm -hmm. it, that part has to be me. 
and and it's simple for me i get up in the morning and do it or you know something comes in somebody's got a question i have to answer it. that's and i you know i i feel very flattered when somebody follows you know um there's a lot a lot of things going on in the world rather than following me you know so i enjoy that i mean um everybody has a certain amount of ego but again i look at it as a responsibility so if somebody's asking me something or thanking me for something or or, or saying that they like my work mm-hmm. then i feel it's my obligation to answer them myself it's a thing that should have always been there but it's fading yeah well, yeah. well um you're right it's fading but um i don't know how to say it right um if you can't be appreciative you know if you think again there's one thing that destroys people in this world more than anything else, and that's ego. Mm-hmm. And we all have it. You have to understand how to control it. And and you have to pick. For me, I'm very blessed. So being raised around animals, still being involved with animals. Um, and I picked a profession that's very demanding and, and one that you have to think your way through. It humbles you. And you understand, that, and, and there's been points in my career where when my ego was outrunning my ability, you know, and you get brought home really quick, you know, and yeah, so it's, it's, again, I think the number one, whether, whether it's in the trades, whether it's in wherever, ego will destroy you, you know, and, and. And there's a there's a huge difference between arrogance and confidence, you know, and, and people don't understand that. A confident person won't feel threat. An arrogant person always feels threat, you know. So it's it's if somebody comes out there and their work is good and they're confident about it, they're still open to learning, right? Uh, I mean, um, how do you get better? How could I have done it quicker? How could I have done it? All different ways. So many things you could say. Well, there's so many things. And, and again, like I said, there, there's you always have to understand where you are in your career. And, and you know, there comes a, a time that, you know, you're gathering knowledge, you're utilizing that knowledge, and then you need to be prepared to pass that knowledge on, right? And and you got to understand those three parts of your life. And, and there's so many people don't, you know. They never leave one phase to go to the other. Do they blend it all together or they just don't even think about it? They don't even think about it. You know, they're they're 25 in their mind until they're 70 and then they're done. You you know what I mean? They don't want to teach anybody. They don't want to pass it on because um, it's mine. You know, I'm going to take it to the grave with me, you know, or, or, you know, I've, I've been doing this three years. I'm great. I'm going to teach everybody. Yeah, I don't even, I, I, it, it would be really hard for me to say I would be a life coach because I've made so many mistakes in my life. There's so many. And, and will continue to do so. Absolutely. Of course, you'll, you'll be more weary, um, but you got to let yourself fail. You have to be open to it. Oh, every day, every day. And you've got to, you know, so I'll do a drawing for a client, for example, and, and I'll send it to them for their approval. And you have to be, you can't sit there and think, well, I'm the artist. 
So you you can't tell me that this is right or wrong. You know, you have to be open to them saying, you know, it's not what I want. You know, it, it and and those are all life lessons. You know, I I've got a great friend that ordered a buckle, and and uh, you know we wanted his brand on the buckle. It was a three piece buckle set. He wanted his brand on the buckle and and maybe his initials on the tip, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm designing this buckle and I'm thinking, I come up with this monogram for him that is just killer, man. I just, I loved it. I fell in love with it. So I just, I just forged ahead, man. I built it. I put it on the buckle. I put his brands on the, the keeper instead. Well, he came into the shop and to pick it up and he looked at it and, and I could just tell in his face, he was disappointed, you know, and I, I said, what's wrong? He says, well, the craftsmanship is beautiful, but it's not what I wanted. I said, you know, you take that home and wear it and, and you, you'll enjoy it. You know, you'll, it'll grow on you. You'll love it. And he said, well, you know, I wanted the brand so I could pass it down to my son and he doesn't have my initials. I said, those are cool initials. Your son will love them. You know, he'll think of grandpa or his dad when he wears them. Yeah, okay, okay. So he takes the buckle and he goes home. And every time I see him, I notice he's not wearing the buckle, right? And he's too much of a friend to say anything, you know. So I thought about that, and I talked to Leslie about it a lot. And, and, you know, finally it just dawned on me. I did what I wanted to do. I didn't do what he wanted to do. So I phoned him up. He came back to the shop, and I said, look, and I'm going to build you what you wanted, man. And I'll just take that buckle back. That was a big lesson for me, you know. Mm -hmm. He was happy. He wears that buckle anytime he's going to something you know, anytime he wants to dress up, he wears that buckle. Every time I see it, I'm proud. And and it makes me understand that my ego got in the, in the way that day, you know? So you got to back up. It's, it's, it ain't about you, stupid. You know, that's, that's the old, that's what I live by. It ain't about you, stupid. So. So true. Well, Scott, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. We, uh, we definitely hit, a, hit some nails. That's... Well, I hope so. I hope I didn't bore you. But, no, yeah. you definitely didn't. And if I'm ever out there, I will message you. It's... Well, I hope you do. if you're coming out here, or just you want to take a drive on a Saturday or something like that, and you want a shop tour, I'd love to give you one. Yeah. That would be great. Excellent. Thank you, and uh, Thank you. stay warm. <laughs> well, I'm going to a warm shop now. So, oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>